Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Put your hands together. Here she is, Tupelo Hussman. I asked for the tape on my stool. Yeah, it feels secure. Okay. Thank you for coming and driving. Um, and thank you, Christine. I'm excited about that ukulele business. Um, I'm going to read for 17 minutes uh, two sections from this book. Uh, one is just orienting you and these characters. And the other is a little bit of romance, maybe. Um, depending on your definition of romance, I don't want to presume. Can you hear me? Just do a lot of this, you know. Okay. Here we go. You're hearing from Helen Deadletter. That's, she is the narrator of this, this book here. Incandescent. Oh, you know what? I just started to have to wear glasses, and so I forget them. I mean, I'm very young. Um, my eyes are not very young anymore. Okay. But look at I. Now I look smart. Okay. Oh, there they are. Incandescent. The bulb is bare and hot to the touch. It's old school, the shape of a cartoon idea and throws a brighter kind of light than the new ones that last forever and won't burn the house down. There is no hiding before it, and that's good. Mistakes are made in the shadows. Your only job, Tucker says when I sit down, is to hold still and not block the light. Then he unwraps a needle. He makes a big show of pulling the wrapper open, the way he's done with each of the wrappers already empty under his table. Sterility is a sign of his professionalism. I'm the third to sit here tonight to take off my shirt or pull up my sleeve or turn the chair around and lean over it with my pants down. Now it is my turn to look at the wall and pretend to study the old map hanging there because I am so bored and I feel no pain. Tucker dips the needle into black ink, our only option, and as the needle touches the soft skin of my forearm, the motor of his homemade tattoo machine whirs out a word into my skin that is copied from my mother's own handwriting. It starts with a looping L bent on leaving. 
I feel pain. The motor sounds like those in the sewing machines lining the tables in home economics at Rosary High. It's a gray noise underneath plastic, faint and determined. Next, an O. I am not bored. Then a comma, not unlike those that God supposedly favors in place of a period, not unlike their reminder to take a breath and carry on. But this noise is not the one we are used to hearing. The sewing machines with rosary high girls bent over them, the way our sisters and mothers bent over them before, making the same aprons, napkins, placemats, tablecloths. That sound is the sound of the past. The sound of Tucker's motor is the sound of the future, with a capital F and a capital U. Low. Tucker saved money from two rosary summers slinging tires at Fast Eddie's to buy the parts for this tattoo machine and for secret trips to Sky's tattoo shops to watch and learn. And then he took off. Whenever he sneaks home to visit, he posts up at Fast Eddie's, and so long as we pay for the ink and let him take pictures when he's done, our tattoos are free. Dickhead discount. He dips the needle, starts the second word, a small p. This is all completely illegal, of course, because Tucker can't get a license here. A little e. And because we're teenagers, a little t and a. The very last thing we have control over is our own bodies. A little L rising up like a sail caught in a wind. The last word. In rosary, the kiss of God wetting a babe's forehead in baptism is the only approved bodily modification because God doesn't make mistakes. A small r. If he'd wanted those words or flowers or birds, if he'd wanted that arrow on you, he'd have slung it there himself. A small i. As the little dot above the eye takes the shape of the tiniest flower, I beg to differ. An S, an E, an R. If God has allowed the postscript of baptism, if he forgot something so important as salvation's own barcode, who's to say he didn't drop a stitch elsewhere? If Pastor Ted is doing his work at the baptismal font, it seems to me like Tucker might be doing his work here too, with his stolen batteries and clean needles and the dazzling white light that chases out the shadows. This pot of ink might be just another font we dip into to add what God forgot. P.S. Tattoos will be outlawed in rosary soon, not just creating them, but having them. The rosary Bible thumpers will get a doctor to say they cause anemia or are contagious, and he will be believed. They will have to be camouflaged, hidden, the way piercings are. If by some anti-miracle rosary high student scores a piercing, it has to be removed before school, lest a flash of metal cause a distraction from our studies. We don't have uniforms, but there are many rules like this at Rosary to make us uniform. For now, tattoos are discouraged in the usual boring ways with laws and licenses and red tape. Tattoo licenses aren't issued in Rosary, period. A rig like Tucker's can't even be built here unless instructions are brought in from the outside. The batteries used to run it are the same as those used for fire alarms and children's toys, but they are still kept locked up in every store across the city 
just like condoms in cans of spray paint. This is my first tattoo, right over the thin blue vein running up the inside of my left forearm. The one you would have to break open if you're ready for the mother of all spoiler alerts. That's not my style, but like anyone kept in a cage long enough, I know the escape routes by heart. This one is the perfect place for a reminder to myself, a modification I think God would approve of. My mother existed once, and here she lives again in these letters on my skin. The cursive is traced from her tiny handwriting in the front pages of our Bible. Not that she ever wrote this exact phrase. The low, comma included, is hers from her favorite verse, Matthew 28:20. 20. Her favorite line, copied in the front of the Bible under my birth date. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. This is the low she would use when she looked out the window and saw the sunrise or heard a bird sing. The small prayer she uttered for any of a day's moments, her reminder to wonder at them. The rest of the cursive I gathered from the letters and the names and birth dates she had written down over the years, gathering them into two words that I could imagine her saying, words I wish she had said, to finish that prayer she was always in the midst of, her reminder to pay attention to the wonder of my own creation. Be cute. Violence does help pass the time. In this way, Bird is like Rosary High's own time machine. A day might be dragging on, the clock clearly broken, and the next thing you know, Bird is smashing someone's head into a locker and it's time to go home. He usually reserves his best efforts for the thumpers, but sooner or later we all take a turn. Today it's mine, and I'm not alone. There's a new guy at school. He is hard to miss in his double XL button down and a precisely knotted tie that screams hardcore thumper. At least that is what I'm thinking as we pass each other in the quad and he smiles down at me like he cannot wait to share the good news. His look is so sincere, so open, that even I am kind of caught up for a second. And this is the exact moment when Bird decides to welcome him to Rosary High by knocking his head and my head straight into each other, hard. Hard enough that the new kid throws up chocolate milk and red licorice all over the three of us. A pretty weird diet for high school. Not that I know he's thrown up because I'm passed out on the hot cement of the quad and dreaming of sugar melting in an easy-bake oven, the black scar ruining the pink metal, and my mouth watering. When I open my eyes, it's to Bird kicking this kid in his big, soft stomach. Bird saying, you messed up my shoes, you pig. And the new guy not saying anything, even when Bird kicks him again, his chocolate and sticky red converse leaving streaks on the fancy shirt, streaks that look like smears of shit and blood. And even when Bird kicks him again and shouts, is that all? What else is in you? The new kid says nothing. And he still doesn't say anything when a girl I've never seen before either, with long brown hair and tight jeans, comes up behind Bird, flips her Technicolor bangs back and says, Spencer Doncaster, like she is taking role. Like she is dying to get her ass kicked too. And then she says it again. Spencer Doncaster, that's my brother you're fucking with. Only teachers call Bird by his real name. And even they look a little scared when they do. 
When Bird turns around to explain this to the new girl, she hits him across the face with the long side of her forearm before he can. I am thinking that this is a really good way to break an arm, and I am hypnotized by the mess of silver bangle bracelets flashing and jingling in the sun as she swings back and hits him again. Her bangles come away as red as licorice with Bird's blood, and he can barely push fucker out of his swollen lips, lips still too kissable, more kissable than his right. She leans down to her brother and strokes his head. Win, you okay? He doesn't answer her. He speaks to me. Hi. <laughs> that smile again. Hi, I say. And you got a little something on your shirt. All I can manage before teachers are there with Jay, Rosary High's security guard, and we are all escorted to the principal's office. Punished. My three-day Rosary High vacation begins with Dad leaving for work, the door finally closing on the last of his many reminders about the studying he thinks I will do today. And then silence. And more silence. Aunt Bev will still be asleep. The tire yard isn't open to dickheads until school is out. Silence. I might actually study. And then the phone rings. Even after the meeting with Principal Harrison, even while I was giving Winthrop and Rainbow Lee my phone number, while Bird's mom and my dad were talking, I didn't notice Winthrop's voice. I do notice it on the phone, though. There is no way to hide from its depth and strength, nowhere else for it to go but straight into my head. And when he says, Helen Deadletter, this is Winthrop Epsworthy speaking, do you want to come over to my house and not study? I can even hear the smile on his face. Masturbate Theater. Winthrop and Rainbowline give me the tour of their house, all except the Epsworthy's bedroom, where Mrs. Epsworthy is taking her midday rest, Rain says, with only the slightest eye roll. And their house is just like mine, except they are living the two-bedroom version of rosary life, and we have three, one for the little brother or sister I never got to have. And except that where our porch has the same polite nothing on it as most rosary porches, the Epsworthies have placed a, placed a stone pagoda, and their yard is dotted with dandelions. My dad goes out at night with a tiny spray bottle of weed killer and murders the dandelions when he thinks no one will notice. As far as I know, this is the only time he succumbs to pride. And here is an entire plot of them, the sins of a rosary lawn for all to see. And here is a pagoda with no explanation at all. And in the Epsworthies' kitchen, Right in the middle of the day, we eat ice cream. I can't decide if I've wandered into Sodom or Gomorrah, but I finish every bite. And then we still have two and a half days left without school. The Epsworthies have an old stereo with a dial tuner, and we sit around for a while on the living room floor trying to get Sky Radio to come in. Every rosary teenager, thumpers too, tries for Sky Radio on any device they can access. It's worth listening through the static because the doctor and his sidekick talk about sex and answer questions about sex and make jokes about sex and have live porn stars on to talk about performing sex acts for a living. Like all of these sex-related actions are choices a body can make with no shame. And most important, the hosts give shout-outs to rosary kids like they know we're listening, like they know what we're listening for. 
It won't come in, and I'm suddenly saying, I can get it at my aunt's shop if you want to come over there sometime. I don't want to explain Aunt Bev, don't want to lose these new friends if the fact of her will drive them away, but I think this thought after I've already opened my big mouth. Your aunt's the psychic, right? Winthrop says. And when I nod, barely, like maybe I can still hide this information by being noncommittal, he says, cool. And then Rain says, as if she already knows about Aunt Bev too, but what are we going to do now? She kind of meows the now, like a bored little kid. It's like everyone they know is related to some witch or other, so my situation is no big deal. And the acceptance of these two people settles around me like dandelion fluff from a wish I didn't know I'd made. We could put on a play, Winthrop says. Rain jumps up. Meet me in the bedroom. In their bedroom, Wynn and I sit on the floor between their beds, and Rain comes in with a big metal box and shuts the door quietly so as not to wake their mom. A minute later, and we are surrounded by Mr. Epsworthy's collection of dirty books, reading lines out to each other, and I am laughing so hard, it feels like the first time. Speakeasy. After we have read through most of Mr. Epsworthy's stash on the first day of Rosary High porn camp, I invite, <laughs> I invite Winthrop and Rain to the tire yard, which is kind of an awkward invitation to present. Hey, do you guys want to go to Fast Eddie's Tire Salvage and break the law with that guy who beat up Winthrop, a couple of weird girls, and an old perv? Is that something that sounds good to you? I don't put it quite like that. When it gets to be 3.30 and I know the dickheads will be on their way to Fast Eddie's, I make this slightly more enticing offer. Hey, after school, some of us get together at the tire yard and drink beer. Do you want to go? Since Winthrop and Rain didn't rat Bird out in Principal Harrison's office, I know they will be welcome. Or what passes for welcome in dickhead language. Allow me to translate. When we arrive at the tire yard, Bird nods at Rain and gives Winthrop a what's up. This is a standard greeting in many dialects, but when spoken at the tire yard to a newcomer, it translates roughly as, fellow traveler, you are welcome here. Bird doesn't expect an answer, and when he does not receive one, it is revealed that the Epsworthies must have encountered other dickheads in their travels and are familiar with our customs. <laughs> we sit down, and Bird pushes the bag of beers at his feet toward us. In dickhead, this translates basically into, I have done you a wrong, which I now acknowledge. I would like you to forgive my past behavior. I share with you now the tools of forgetting. <laughs> Accepting the tools of forgetting without comment, as is appropriate, Winthrop and Rain open them and drink. Dickhead initiation successful. So my name, is, my name is Jim, and I'm going to be grilling uh, Tupelo <laughs> about her book. But before I do that, I want to remind everyone that books make terrific presents. Um, not only do they, they last forever, uh, they don't decay, but you could buy like several for friends and things like that. So That's um, true. Tupelo's book is wonderful, and thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Do you guys know who this is? 
This is Jim Crusoe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh okay. boy. He was. Yeah. I'm anyway, thrilled. Anyway. Anyway. Um, I, I love your sentences so much. I love your paragraphs, but I'll tell you the truth. What really, really kind of thrills me are those short sections you do uh, all the way in both your books. Uh, um, why do you like them? And tell me about, you know, fragments and things like that. I mean, what are the, I know why I like them, but tell me why you use them, okay? Well, I, I didn't know that that was my way. Um, when Girl Child came out, I thought it was, I had an answer and it was that, that book is about trauma and trauma is fragmenting. And then um, I quickly realized that I did the same thing. And so now I think that that's what comes naturally. So then of course, because I'm, I like to be mean to myself, I think, well, maybe I'm not pushing myself hard enough to do something else. Hmm. You're all therapists, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I like it too, because it's, it is trauma. I mean, it, it, it's sort of, to me, that segment, the nothing states, stands in for the unspeakable that you don't put. But it also, it acts uh, in a way like a poem or like a dance because what may takes you from one section to the other is always a small surprise and where you stop and where you start is uh, really pleasurable. I mean, I, I love that kind of writing, so thank, thank you, you for that. When you write, um, how do you, do you have a process such as it is or do you just start or um, what do you do? Well, I start and it's oh, good. terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And then I think after 30 pages or so, I have to ask if it's going to be a short story or garbage or if I should keep going. Um, and then maybe when I get to 80 or 100, I show somebody and uh, start making notes. And then I make a lot of very tedious notes, very tedious like lists. What? Uh, add this here, make this connection somewhere, you know, thread this thing through, which is the worst. Um, and I really obsessively go through the list and I can't put it to bed without that. Maybe that's normal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You revise a lot? Yes. Yeah, good. Yeah, a lot. And then, of course, then readers help you revise. It's helping. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the other things that's interesting about all your work in a way is it seems to me that you write a lot about belief or people who have it versus people who don't. And um, it, I'm thinking it's a double-edged um, attribute. So talk about that if you would. Um, I would. I didn't notice that. Um, I mean, what, it's true. Okay, so your town's called Rosary, and you didn't notice that. <laughs> that, 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 I, that I do that often. I mean, I didn't know. I'd, I know I'm doing it in this book. Um, I think there's just these performative ways of believing, and then there are these, well, I'm judging, okay? I'm just judging. But um, what seem more truthful, you know, organic ways of believing and maybe I'm, maybe I'm calling out the hypocrisy. That sounds terrible and mean, but maybe yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing. that's a bad thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, um. So, but, but what, it, what I'm saying too is, I mean, I think belief cuts both ways. This, this book, uh, 
she's in a town where um, people are basically thumpers, as you say, Bible thumpers, and it's very rigid and they don't allow anything. And at the same time, I'm thinking that in both of your books, um, it's the right, it's the character's belief that there's a way out that gets her out, um, or at least gives you the hope of getting out. And that seems that seems kind of interesting and respectful of the idea of belief as well. Yeah, I'm so interested in that, in the people who decide they want a thing and then proceed versus, you know, you make you go to two lists, basically. Here are the reasons why we shouldn't try that, and here are the reasons, here are the ways to get to that. Um, I prefer the ways to get to that. Yeah. Uh, I think I think that does inform everything. The other belief is the belief in the written word, which is a kind of a oh. funny thing because uh, that also seems to be the way out. Uh, if I'm, is it the is it the Fourteenth Amendment or the Fourth Amendment that people hang in their uh, trailers? Um, so oh, the fourth. The fourth, yeah. which is oh, what unlawful search and seizure. So, so in other words, you know, here we are in people who have nothing at all in their lives, um, it, and what they put up on their wall according to Tupelo, or is the copy of the Fourth Amendment thinking it's going to protect them uh, from yeah. unlawful search and seizure? It, I, I mean, I've seen this many times. Right? Yeah. It's a, I hope none of you have ever seen it. Don't go back to that neighborhood. Um, but yeah, it's a But it's thing. a great neighborhood because it's a neighborhood where people are struggling uh, really badly, right? And and your characters, the first you know, girl child, uh, Rory... It's the Girl Scout handbook, of all things, that gets her through, kind of. Yeah. And here it's porn, uh, you, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it's this kind of um, exciting in a certain way to think about that. Right. Also, I th maybe these signs that Helen, yeah. Helen makes a lot of lost signs. So, yeah, I, good noticing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, well, one of the other things I noticed is that this has more of a plot why? Um, than your I, first book. I wanted to try, and it feels really like a lot of plot to me, but I've, I've gotten some feedback so far since it came out that maybe there's just still not enough plot for some people. Oh. oh. I know. I don't know. I mean, it, reviews are not a conversation, but that's informative to me because I felt like I was doing plot, you know. Well, your, your job is not to give people what they want, right? Good thing. It's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing my job. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, here's a, a question. One of the things that I thought, it's sort of like two parts, but um, I'm interested in um, books I would recommend to kids as well. And this is a grown-up book, clearly, but I, can't, I, I would force, you know, I would take a, a child and lock them in, uh, lock them in a corner <laughs> <laughs> and, and say you have to read it and you can't leave. Um, what's the difference between your mind between a book for a kid and a book for an adult? I don't know the answer, but I feel like that's because I was raised in a questionable fashion. What and do you mean? I mean, I was allowed to read everything. Um, and YA wasn't a thing. Right. When I was a YA. Uh, I mean, if you're Y, it's all YA, right? I suppose so. Well, yeah. So, um, but it, it comes up, and Girl Child won this award that is 
it's called the Alex Award, and it's for uh, the best novels, not just mine, the best novels for adult novels for young readers. So that, I didn't know that existed. And I, I tried to read some YA, technically YA after that. And I, I don't know. I don't understand the distinction. Yeah, I, um, well, I think the thing that separates your work from YA in some ways is um, the fact that it's so damn well written and so fun and pleasurable to a grown-up reading it. The thing I think that um, maybe puts it somewhat in that category is the fact that it's about trying to figure out where somebody stands in the world. Hmm. Uh, and, and that seems to be, you know, where they're also interested. Why do you like, um, because I think you do, and I think you're so good at it, why do you like um, using a voice of a young person? Working so hard not to psychoanalyze myself right now. <laughs> oh, go ahead. <laughs> I, uh, you know, this, this Gods with Little G was, the little seed of it was someone that I love who um, lives in a rural area in a Bible Belt state who's trans and a teenager and um, and has this group of friends, you know, that are everything, every single thing. Uh, and I, I didn't ever think, oh, I'm going to write a story about you, person I love. But um, that's that's it. I don't know. It does mean that I have yet to write a novel about adults, or well, from mean, an adult perspective. I mean, really, technically, there's no difference. That's a true. There's no distinction, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe that. Yeah, but I, th I think the uh, the child voice is more flexible and surprising, um, mm -hmm. and you do that really well. Thank you. Um, this I mean, it's such a fun book, um, and it. Um, the other thing I like about it very much is it's a book uh, that you don't often find, but it's a book that's also about class distinctions, about these people are poor and they don't have anything else going for them. And, um, and I think that that's one of the funny conversations that's been lost in uh, America uh, for the most part. It's been put into other categories, but the fact that some people just don't have any money really affects the way they are. And it also affects their belief, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I yeah. Does anyone have any questions uh, out here that you you can throw in? And um, for example, Tupelo said that she really wanted to uh, talk about the answer to climate change. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so. I, I said softballs would be good, and this is what Dance we came it. up with. <laughs> You know, no, I, but, but when my dad had a girlfriend, many girlfriends, my dad had a girlfriend who uh, gave me James and the Giant Peach, and I really do remember going, this is really good, like with this some kind of, you know, authority on what is good writing or not, and I really, I, I hold that so dear, just also, it's, it's odd, but I had an opinion. And there it was. It took that. Yeah.
I will answer questions you don't even ask aloud. You just think them and... <laughs> More questions? Yes, Kathleen. Yeah, I'm going to, I've been, this is my fourth stop. I, I feel like numbers are so meaningless right now. And um, there's a few more and some festivals. Were you raised in Reno, by the way, around there? Yeah. you just came from there, right? I, I was in Reno last night, and I lived there for my elementary school years, which informed a great deal of girl child. Yeah, I thought and, so. And uh, some of my family came. It was nice. Um, I drove through the very poor town. <laughs> Helen uh, makes uh, paper flowers, not origami, but... Um, similar uh she learned that from her mom i don't i don't do anything like that i i did recently learn how to use a hot glue gun without burning down the house so um no and rory does paper flowers too or there's paper flowers and girl child too they're they're paper flower uh, they're alluded to yeah. but she doesn't create them oh no there's a toilet paper flower oh i've read that book <laughs> Um, it's so messy uh, that I don't know if it's useful, but once I think I have something, then I try to figure out a deadline, even if I have to invent it from thin air. And um, I, again, with the abacus, I figure out how many hours there are, and sometimes I'll, <laughs> I don't maybe sound sane, but uh, I'll, I'll have the list of things to do I'll split it into big problems or big issues and smaller ones and then do division and then I set a timer and take a break. You know, there's this science about your brain has this much energy for 50 or 90 minutes and if you take a break for 10 minutes. <laughs> but, you know, if I had a more more discipline, I think I wouldn't have to do it that way. But that's that's the way that I that I do it and it's working. Okay. Uh -huh. All right. Not the tomato sauce. Not the sauce. It could be the tomato sauce. Yeah. The Pomodoro technique. It's exactly this. What you're doing. Oh, really? It's an awesome technique. Oh. You're doing exactly the right thing. Pomodoro. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, sweeping, it's sweeping Los Angeles. Okay. It's <laughs> yeah. named after the timer that's shaped like tomato. Oh. Because the Pomodoro is the time tomato. Oh, see. It's a good thing he didn't have a timer shaped like a hamster, huh? <laughs> um, any other questions? Uh, to call my friend Donna, I did not do that. To get money 
from uh, the bank, which I did not do, and <laughs> that my rental car is from budget, because I can't. I'll get out there and get on the wrong shuttle. Oh. I did that. I got the right rental car, so we're good. No, I know what an outline looks like, but I've, no, no. I, I, get, I think people love it. I have no idea about that. Oh, no, I don't think so. Not yet. Not many bookstores there. I should send one. <laughs> yeah. uh, any more questions? How did your family react to your Oh, career? that's a good question. Oh, um, last night in Reno. So there, people cry a lot. Um, there was a friend there that I hadn't seen since I was 13, and she grew up in this, it was gnarly, in this gnarly place, and she brought her mom and her older sister, and they were all just crying. <laughs> and I was trying not to cry. Um, and her mom, I said, I remember doing dishes at your house because my friend couldn't play until we did chores. And, uh, and she cried more and said, I wish that's not what you remembered. And um, it was very nice. It was very nice. And then I'm, I'm going to go to San Francisco in a couple days, and I'll have my, my, most of my brothers will be there. And then th what they're gonna do, they're my older brothers, they're gonna think that um, everything that I read is something that's happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how much is it something that's happened? I think it's like 72%. No. <laughs> um, much the the first novel first novel thing is a lot very similar to my life but this one is familiar to my life one of the things i like about this one is that that your character is always going i shouldn't do this and then just doing it yeah <laughs> that seems pretty familiar <laughs> yeah. i am very familiar with that part yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, thank you all for uh, coming. Um, thank Tupelo for bringing herself to us. Can I, can I just say one more thing? And buy some books. I, I want to say Oops. one more thing. Yes. That, um, and I'm not going to cry right now. So Jim Crusoe was my first creative writing teacher at Santa Monica College. I had dropped out of high school after all the mess, and I was still a mess. And... Um, I had no idea what I was going to do. And I uh, was dead set on getting A's, and I had A's. And then I, the first night of your class, I think, he comes in, he's like, I only give B's. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and, um, and I stayed. Yay, me, for <laughs> losing that A. And, that, and I really did go, oh, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and, and when I left Santa Monica College, uh, I, I had applied to all these universities. I took my acceptance letters to Jim, 
And I said, where do I go? And he told me, and I did it. And then when it was time for grad school, I did the same thing, and he very graciously uh, told me what to do and was right again. And, um, and so that's why I asked him to be here tonight. <laughs> well. I'm You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.